friends, we're in this series where we're talking about this guy named Peter. And Peter had a whole lot of, of ups and, and downs in his ministry. And I, today we're going to talk about a time actually where Jesus looked and, and he saw Peter. But it wasn't one of Peter's stronger moments. In fact, I bet it was probably the worst moment of his whole life. It was a really, really difficult place. It was a time where Jesus or Peter would not have wanted to be seen by Jesus, but he was. And then we're going to talk about a later time where Jesus saw him again and how Jesus restored him. Because all of us, we have those moments where we sin and we mess up. And, and that's part of why we love Peter. Because when we see Peter's life, we hear Peter's story, we really find ourselves in this. As people who are striving to be faithful followers of Jesus and who often mess it up, we find ourselves in Peter. I mean, Peter is somebody, he's one of Jesus' three core disciples. He's the one on whom Jesus said he was going to build his church. He's the rock, right? Like he's got all this great stuff said about him, all these expectations. And there's times where he really gets it, other times where he doesn't. And yet Jesus is still faithful. And, you know, when we talk about this event in Peter's life today, to make it even more painful, the fact is Peter should have seen it coming. It shouldn't have been a surprise to him. It's, it's Maundy Thursday, the night before Jesus is to give his life for us. And Jesus had done something very strange that Thursday. He asked the disciples to get together with him in the upper room to celebrate the Passover. Well, the strange thing is, Passover's Friday. We don't celebrate it on Thursday. But Jesus knew that on Friday, he was going to be giving his life for us. Why? Because Jesus is the ultimate Passover lamb. He's the fulfillment of the Passover. He himself is the lamb. And so he, he, they celebrate the Lord's Supper together for the very first time that night. Jesus institutes this sacrament that we practice today of, of remembrance, of participation in his sacrifice. Jesus talks to them about, and he models for them, how they should be serving one another. Instead of trying to figure out who's best, that they should be a servant of all. He talks about how the disciples someday ultimately are going to reign with him in, in the kingdom of heaven in glory. He talks about all of these kinds of things. And then he turns to Peter, and he really, he really drops a bomb on him. He says something really hard. Luke twenty two thirty one. 31. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Now, that's an odd metaphor for us. I'll explain a little bit more in a bit. But it basically means Satan has asked to tear you up. Now, if I'm Peter and I hear that, I'm not feeling great about this. And I would look at Jesus and I would say, and you said what? Like I'm looking for an answer and I would like that answer to be no. You may not sift Peter <laughs> like wheat, okay? Could we, let's just bypass that, right? And this kind of reminds us of the book of Job, right? Where Satan comes before God and, and God says, hey, you've seen my servant Job. He's really great down there. He's very faithful. And Satan's like, yeah, that's because he never has any hard things coming to him. Here's what I want to do. I want to tempt him. I wanna, he's going to fail, right? And God's like, go ahead, try it. I know Job. And it's almost like there's levels of temptation that Satan has to get this kind of like authorization, if you will, that like it's going to be really difficult for us. It could shipwreck our faith. And we're like, okay, why would God say yes? That, that doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem kind. It doesn't seem necessary. 
Well, the book of James kind of gives us our answer when it tells us that the testing of our faith develops perseverance. It's a little bit like exercise, right? Exercise kind of painful sometimes while you do it, but it leads to good things. It strengthens us. I bet for many of us we can look back and we see hard times in our lives, and we hated them at that moment. We did not want to be going through them. But if we asked today and said, hey, if you could, would you take away those hard times? Probably some would say yes, but there may be many times we'd say, no, I needed that. That strengthened me. That actually helped me. God used that mess in some productive way to help me grow. So he's, so this image of being sifted, it's, it's a throwback to, to Bible times when you have, um, uh, you're sifting wheat, right? And we've got a video of what this looks like. Would you roll this here? Um, basically, it's a windy time, and they take and they throw the wheat up in the air, and the chaff, the lightweight stuff, blows away, while the grain, the heavy stuff, falls to the ground. And they keep doing this until you have a pure pile of grain. It's messy. Just ask the good dog on the scene, right? He knows it's messy. But this is what they do, right? This is how they separate the wheat from the chaff. They throw it up in the air and let the junk blow away because the wind is going to blow away the lightweight stuff, but the real good quality stuff, it's going to remain. So we're going to sift Peter here. We're going to see Peter's faith. When the wind blows hard, is Peter going to be chaff or is Peter going to be wheat? That's essentially what happens. Next verse, Jesus says this, But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. But Peter replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Ooh, ouch. We go from like, I'll die for you. And Jesus is like, no, before morning, you're going to deny me three times that you even know me. Like, you're not even close to death prison level here. You're just at, like, basic identification. Do you know the guy? You're going to fail at that three different times. You know, we have a real enemy. The Bible's clear on this, that Satan is our enemy. Jesus believed in Satan. Jesus knows that Satan is real. We should, too. Jesus is more powerful than Satan, but we can be tempted by Satan. He comes at us with temptations, with accusations. The Bible says that he's the father of lies. He loves to lie to us and tell us nonsense, but we often believe it because we know that we're frail and we know that we mess up. And when we mess up, he loves to say stuff like, yep, you failed again. I knew you would because you're a failure. You say that you love God, but you're not faithful to God. You say that God's powerful, but you keep on sinning. You're not set free. You say you're set free, but you're not set free. It's all a lie. That's for other people. It's for better people. It's not for you. You're a failure. You've messed up. Why are you even living? Satan, he lies a lot. And maybe you're here today and you bought into some of that stuff. My prayer for you is that Jesus would set you free that he would set you free from those lies. Because that's not the will of God in your life. It's simply not. We don't want to believe these lies because they can destroy us. But friends, we have hope. 
We have hope in Jesus because we can have victory over Satan because of Jesus. A few series back, we talked about this verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, which says this. Remember that the temptations that come into your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will keep the temptation from becoming so strong that you can't stand up against it. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you will not give in to it. Now, if you remember that series, we said this does not mean that God causes all the bad stuff in your life. This is saying that we're just talking about one specific thing, temptation. And it's saying that when you face temptation, you can have hope. You are never going to face like the mother of all temptation that you can't say no to. It's not going to happen. Every time that you're tempted, God has given you the ability to say no by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can say no to sin. It's not easy, but you can say no to sin. Now, let's get to the heart of Peter's story here. This is one of the rare moments in the disciples' lives that's featured in all four Gospels. Uh, the church told this story on a regular basis, okay? So it's important for us to understand it too. Jesus has been arrested, Luke twenty-two fifty-four. Then seizing Jesus, they led him away and took him to the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. But when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated, seated there in the firelight. She looked at him closely and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, Peter said. A little while later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, so he's got an hour to think all of this stuff through, right? Another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you are talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. Then the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Jesus saw him in this moment that Jesus had predicted, that Peter said wouldn't happen. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Have you been there before? If we're honest, we all have. We all have. None of us do this Christian life perfectly. Even faithful people fail Jesus sometimes. I mean, Peter was a faithful person. He had done so many great, he, he literally left his nets to follow Jesus. He'd been following him for three years. He had so many things he had gotten right. He's the one who proclaims, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. But even faithful people mess up. Even faithful people fail Jesus sometimes. Peter would soon be the highest spiritual authority on earth. He would be the one who Jesus promised to be the rock on which the church is built. Peter's going to be the guy preaching there the day of Pentecost when thousands are saved. Peter is going to be one of the key leaders for literally decades to come. This is Peter, okay? 
this day, he failed. He caved into pressure from, from three random people. And the first one, a servant girl. Likely, that's probably a junior high age girl, right? She's got no power, no standing. She can't even testify in court, right? And, and all she's doing is saying that this guy was with Jesus. That actually wasn't a crime. When they arrested Jesus, they didn't actually arrest the rest of them. They arrested Jesus. He's the one doing the blasphemy in their mind. So he's not even, by saying he knows Jesus, he's not even admitting to like some crime or something like that. But, but when a little girl says to him, hey, you were with him, he denies it. Then two others, even with a long span of time, denies, denies. It, you should have seen this coming, Peter. I mean, Jesus literally told you it was going to happen, right? In your big moment of bravado, Jesus is like, no, it's going to go down this way. And, you're, you know, here you are. It's kind of like if you're at school and you've got, you're like, best friends with the smartest kid in the class, right? And and there's a really hard test you're taking today, and she's taking it the period before you. And you pass in the hallway, and she's like, hey, little tip here. When you get to number 10, it's true or false, you're going to think that it's false. It seems false. It's actually true, okay? Just let me help you out with that, right? So you go in, you sit down, you're taking the test, right? And you get to number 10 there, and you read this statement, and you're like, that's totally false. That's the most false, falsy thing I've read in my whole life, right? It, false. All the, she does not know what she's talking about. You get to the end, you hit submit, you fail the test by one question, and sure enough, you missed question 10, right? You knew it. You knew, we told you ahead of time, right? Like, we, we shouldn't have stumbled over this one, right? What is wrong with you, Peter? Don't you trust Jesus? Don't you believe him? Hasn't he done enough miracles? Hasn't he shown himself faithful enough to where you can believe what he says and maybe, I don't know, alter your behavior based on it? It's easy to beat up on Peter until we think back about, say, last week in our own lives. I mean, really? How many of us are like, yep, did it perfectly last week, in fact. That's why I'm back again this week. Tell you all what a great example you have in following me, right? I doubt it. I doubt it. We all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. Peter here does it in a very big and embarrassing way. Some of us have had little ones and also big ones. Yet Jesus sees Peter right in the midst of that. Right in the midst of that. Maybe this past week you had one of those moments where it was like you saw somebody being mistreated, who, who, the person who Jesus loves, which is everyone, by the way, and you didn't do anything. You knew, you felt that nudge from the Spirit to say something, but you didn't because you were afraid of what they might say to you. Or maybe you saw the person, you know somebody who's hurting, who's going through a lot, and you felt that nudge from the Spirit to offer to pray with them, or to maybe invite them to your life group or grief share or something like that. And you're like, ah, I don't want to, like, cram my religion down anybody's throat. I'm not doing that. You know, we just called you to pray. Don't be a jerk about it, but we should pray for people. We should invite people. <laughs> it's what Jesus has us here for, you know. <laughs> he has us here to be his hands and feet in the world. And maybe you think back, and you're like, yeah, I saw it, I knew it, but I didn't do it. We, we all have times where we fail, and in our own ways, 
we deny Jesus. Let me read Peter's bit again here. Verse 60, he says, man, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he's speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you'll disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. Can you imagine what it was like to lock eyes with Jesus in that moment? A grown man goes out and just weeps. What have I done? How could I possibly? He, he even told me this was going to happen. You, you know what it's like. You, you say something, you're not thinking, and you just see right before your very eyes that person crumble with those words you said. And you just wish you could take it back, but you can't. You, you do that thing that you said you'd never do or you'd never do again, and you have that feeling once again of shame and pain and guilt. You just feel so ugly and dirty and rejected. We know what it's like. We know what Peter feels like in these moments. And if you think back earlier, I used to read that verse 32 where Jesus said, I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. I used to read that and think, did, did Jesus' own prayer fail here? Like he prayed that this wouldn't happen, it seems, but, but it happened, you know. Spoiler alert, Jesus still denies him, you know. What, what happened here? Well, it wasn't exactly, it wasn't exactly that way. You see, I, I, if we look at that word fail in the original language, what it refers to is it's used in the same context as a person who runs out of money, like bankrupt, if you will. He's basically praying that Peter's faith will not become bankrupt. Jesus knows what Peter's going to do. Jesus has perfect foreknowledge, right? That means God knows everything. Nothing is a surprise to him. I don't pray because God needs to be informed. I pray because, because God cares about me and this relationship and, and, and the things that are on my heart. And, and God wants to talk to me and, and, and speak to me as well. And so, so Peter is here. And, and Jesus knows that his actions are going to fail. What Jesus is praying is that in the midst of this failure, that Peter's faith will not become bankrupt. That this won't be a failure where he just walks away from it all. There's no hope for me. I'm lost. There's, there's nothing. That, basically, that he won't go the, the Judas route here. Because that temptation is real. Satan is a liar. And he loves nothing more than to knock Christians out of their game. Because Jesus has called us to serve him and to be used by him. And he loves nothing more than to lie to us and to get us to believe that stuff. Doesn't it feel good to know that Jesus is praying for you? That your faith would not fail. Because there's no temptation taking you but that which is common, right? And God is faithful and he'll give you a way through that temptation. And that, that, that when we sin and we mess up, that his grace, it's greater than all of our sin. In fact, he casts our sins away as far as the east is from the west. That's our God. And he wants you to know that. He wants you to know that. Jesus understands what Peter's going to do here. So in First, Second Timothy 2, it says this. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. Say that with me. 
if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. Understand, the faithfulness is all on Jesus' side of the equation here. It doesn't say that if we are unfaithful, he's faithful because overall our goods outweigh our bads, and he decided it worth keeping us on the team, right? No. It says if we are unfaithful, he is faithful, for he cannot de de deny who he is. It's Jesus' faithfulness that keeps the relationship intact. Not Peter's, not mine, not yours. It's Jesus' faithfulness that keeps the relationship intact. Peter lies. He sins. He denies. Peter should go to the cross, but he doesn't. He doesn't. I should go to the cross. I'm the sinner. You, the sinner. We all deserve that. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through who? Jesus Christ our Lord. The faithfulness is all on Jesus' side of the equation here. The Son of God takes my sin and your sin and Peter's sin, and he goes to the cross, and he gives his life there as a ransom, as a payment for our sin. That is seriously good news, friends. That's why we call this message the gospel, good news. Because on our side of the equation, continually there's unfaithfulness. And on Jesus' side, 100% of the time, he is faithful because he cannot deny who he is. If God gives up on faithless Peter, people, then Peter is done, right? If God gives up, then, then Peter should be done. Peter, guess what? I said you were the rock. I was wrong. You're not the rock. You're like jello, right? Like you're, you're no foundation, you deny me, you lie about me, even when I tell you I need to find a new rock, you're fired, Peter. That's not Jesus, is it? That's not Jesus. If we are unfaithful, he is faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. Thank you, God, that you don't give up on people who mess up. There's hope for me. There's hope for you. So how does Jesus actually respond then? Well, that day he doesn't have the chance. For Peter runs off crying. Jesus goes to the cross. After Jesus is raised from the dead, he makes multiple special efforts to reach out to Peter. And one of them is when Peter has gone back to fishing in Galilee. And he has this night where he goes up there and he fishes. He fishes all night long, professional fisherman, and catches nothing, right? Like, that never happens. Well, it happened one other time. But that usually never happens to a professional fisherman, right? You just don't get shut out, right? And so Peter, they're, they're probably quite unhappy about this. They're coming back in. Dawn is breaking, right? And they see the outline of this guy standing there on the shore. He's like, hey, boys, how's the fishing going? They're like, it's great. We got nothing. We caught nothing, all right? Like, here we are. And he's like, well, why don't you try casting your net on the other side of the boat? Are you kidding me? Like, whatever, fine. Drop it in. Boom. Massive Massive catch of fish. So big, the, like the nets are breaking here, right? Peter doesn't even take the time to mess with the fish. He knows what's going on. He's seen this game before, right? Because it was the day where Jesus had called Peter. He likewise had fished all night long, and Jesus had given him similar instructions. He went out, miraculous catch of fish. And that day, what did he say? Go away, Lord. I'm a sinful man. And here we are, back at the lake, another strikeout, another miracle, Peter's still a sinful man, and Jesus is still faithful. 
Jesus is still faithful. He goes on the shore. They, Jesus has cooked breakfast for him over a charcoal fire, ironically. The same kind of fire burning that night when he denied Jesus. He's cooked breakfast for him. And then Jesus has this conversation with Peter, and it's real. John 21, 15, after breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. Once more he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that Jesus asked the question a third time. Yes, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. The truth is, when you were young, you were able to go and do as you liked and go wherever you wanted to go. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and others will direct you and take you to where you don't want to go. Then there's this parenthetical note. Jesus said this to let him know what kind of death he would die to glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. This is the perfect restoration. Peter has denied Jesus three times. Jesus leads him to affirm Jesus three times. It's this restoration. You deny three times, you're going to get it right three times. And then he gives this seemingly odd prediction about Peter's death someday. We'll get to that in a minute. And Jesus says, follow me. Remember those words? I will make you a fisher of men. Follow me. In other words, Peter, you're still the rock. You're still my disciple. Consider yourself restored. Consider that behind us. The calling is just as real as it was on day one when you said that you would follow me. You're still the rock on whom I'm going to build this church. In other words, I'm faithful even when you are not. He's restored. Jesus relentlessly pursues us no matter what the cost. No matter what the cost. And about that prediction, church tradition tells us, well, we know from the Bible that Peter would go to Rome, ultimately, decades later, and do some ministry there. It would be during the time of the emperor Nero, a very evil man who was violently persecuting Christians, killing them in, in very large quantities. And they had a, a standard test, if you will, that they would give to Christians. You see, Romans, uh, the Romans would proclaim that Caesar is Lord. The reason they would do this is because they literally had deified the government. <laughs> now, we know that's crazy, right? But they had deified the government, saying the government is like at the level of God. And the Romans were a people who worshipped a variety of gods, so this was less problematic to them. It's kind of saying that, that Caesar is, is one of the gods, basically. For Christians, as you can tell, this is a big problem because we do not believe in a multitude of gods. We believe in one God. 
And we believe in Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And so we believe that there is one Lord. His name is Jesus, is not Caesar. So for a Christian to say Caesar is Lord was a contradiction of their faith in Jesus. And church tradition tells us that on that day where Peter was brought in before the people who had the right to put him to death, that they looked at him and they said, Peter, all you got to do is say it. Caesar is Lord. All you've got to do is deny Jesus, Peter. This shouldn't be hard for you. You did it three times to his face. Now it's life and death, buddy. What are you going to do? Jesus is Lord. They told Peter they were going to crucify him. And he said, I am not worthy to die as my Lord died. So you're going to have to crucify me upside down. And the tradition of the church is that that's exactly what happened to Peter. And so we see this man, we see it all come full circle. He had been unfaithful to Jesus, to Jesus' own face, and yet he's changed because he's been restored by Jesus. He's been called back into the ministry. He has been filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. He is going, going around doing miracles, signs, and wonders. He is preaching the good news, and thousands are coming to repentance. He knows this is real. And he knows now, if, if I need to die for Jesus, I will consider that an honor. Because he's always been faithful to me. And he died for me. Friend, we have that same hope today. You and I do. Jesus has always been faithful. And maybe you're looking at times, I want to invite the band to come forward. Maybe you're looking at times where you have not been faithful. And you have bought into some lies. You may have been doing this literally for decades. You have, maybe you have bought into the lie that God cannot use you, that God has rejected you, that you are at some like less than place because of your sin and your screw-ups and your denials. That's a lie. Call it what it is. That's a lie. He is faithful even when we are not faithful because he cannot deny who he is. So, friend, I, I just want to spend a little bit of time praying right now. Would you bow your heads with me? Come, Holy Spirit. We need your presence. We need your love. We need your grace and your forgiveness. I pray for the person who feels that they have disqualified themselves that somehow you have given up on them and this is just their lot in life. I pray that by your miraculous power that you would speak words of hope into their heart right now. I pray that they would feel your arms around them, that they would know in their deepest being that you've got them, that you've always had them, that you saw them on their worst days and you see them today. I pray that you would give us a repentant heart, Father. 
a heart that turns away from sin and turns towards you. I pray that you would that you would break our hearts for the things of you and that you would help us to find healing and wholeness in you, Jesus. You're the great physician. I pray for those who may have felt distant for a long time. Would you welcome us back today? I pray for restoration. I pray for salvation if we haven't turned to you. I pray for healing and for hope. For this is what you do, God. Lord, we lay ourselves before you. And like Peter, we're thankful that you see us. And that you don't turn away from us even in our darkest and most difficult moments. But instead you restore us. Thank you, Jesus, for your love and your restoration, your healing and your grace. Lord, we love you and we pray this in your holy name. Amen.